Hey, welcome to the 180 podcast. This episode of the 180 podcast, uh, we have a very special guest. We have a alumni member from, I want to say 2013, Mustafa, maybe a bit earlier. Mustafa Najati, uh, Dr. Mustafa Najati. He is currently a strategy and policy manager at the government of Alberta. He is also the star of his own uh, YouTube channel, Momentum Consulting, uh, which he'll tell us more about. Mustafa and I have known each other for almost seven, eight years now. We both worked at HSBC, uh, one of his first jobs in Vancouver, I believe, right? First uh, one or two jobs. I remember that chat we had on Granville Street. And I just gave him some advice. I don't know if it helped or not. You can tell me if it did, but he got the job and uh, he did some great things there. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Mustafa. Welcome. Hey, thank you, Paul and Nick, for the great opportunity. When Paul and Nick approached me and asked me uh, and told me about the 180 podcast, I was just amazed by the idea and the initiative that the group has taken to start this podcast. And I must say, I feel humbled and grateful to have the opportunity to be part of this amazing show. Um, a little bit of introduction, as Paul mentioned, I moved to Canada back in 2014, and um, I came here uh, from Malaysia. I'm originally from Iran, but prior to that, I was living actually in Malaysia for several years. So when you move to a new country all over and have to start fresh, of course, that's one of the key things that was really important for me is uh, the importance of building those relationships. So right off the bat, I tried to expand my network and get to know as many people, like-minded people in my field. And the crew was definitely one of the best things that happened to me when I moved to Canada. I had a chance to meet amazing people who were very supportive and like-minded and got a lot of uh, learning opportunities for me that way. As Paul mentioned right now, I work at the government of Alberta and I live here in Edmonton. Um, nonetheless, my past several years here in Canada, I've uh, dealt with different jobs and definitely worked my way up to the level that I'm right now. I'm managing a team of six and uh, dealing with very interesting projects such as implementing an enterprise resource planning kind of a tool in the government of Alberta for our 30,000 plus employees, um, which is quite exciting and also providing change management support to our clients that we provide support for. Oh my God, it sounds so amazing. <laughs> Paul, you have something to add on? No, I was just, yeah, I, f- I forgot you had moved around as well, uh, Mustafa. So maybe just tell us a little bit more about like, why did you come to Canada in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question, Paul. So uh, the decision, to, obviously, to move to a totally new country is not an easy one. And it's one where you have to uh, give it a lot of thoughts. For me, I was living in Malaysia outside of my home country for several years. In fact, I moved to Malaysia to do my doctorate level uh, studies there. And it was around four or five years after I graduated there, I continued to work. But I always wanted to move to a country where I get to learn, I get to actually establish a more comfortable lifestyle. And Canada was one of my first picks. So the process was not an easy one. It took I would say close to three years for me to finally get my permanent residency and move to Canada, but I have not looked back ever since. I am definitely very proud to be a Canadian now. I'm a Canadian citizen and definitely call Canada almost my home. Of course, you always have your ties with your you know, home country. That's for sure. Regardless of how the situation is back there, still it's your country, but I'd love to be a Canadian. Um, to answer your question as well, Paul, yeah, when I wasn't here in, in Canada, I also moved quite a bit. Uh, initially, I, I moved to Vancouver and I lived there for two to three years. But, you know, after that, there was an opportunity, um, like, you know, life changed and I moved to Edmonton, although it didn't work out the way I would have thought at the time. 
uh, right now, I'm very happy with how things unfolded. Um, I'm married here. I actually got married this year uh, during the COVID year. So oh, I guess congratulations. that makes it even more. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. So I've lived here in Edmonton for a couple of years now and uh, quite like it, to be honest. But I do yeah. miss my friends back in Vancouver, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I also got married during COVID, as you might know. Um, and, you know, you. given how things are, aren't you glad that you kind of got that done with and like you can move on with other things? And You know, that's so true. Exactly. It's one of those things that you're so, so much looking forward to. And I think I agree with you. You're so, both my wife and I, we are so glad that we actually got married, although it was very small and got to celebrate it with our immediate family. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, we're happy that we got to go through that and we're actually husband and wife but we are planning to still celebrate hopefully when the situation gets back to normal sometimes in 2021 so we'll see yeah. how that nick do you have follow up with that yeah for sure i mean thank you you know to take us to your background and you know make sure that we can know who you are right so that they they know the context of your answers to you know the following topics and everything right because in this podcast today, right, what we're going to be talking about is going to be topics and themes surrounding the overall finance topic. I'm in that stage where finance plays a huge part of my life. Like I worry about it every day. And even though the situation is way better now, but I still think that there's a lot to be improved in terms of teaching finance and personal finance in a school environment and academic environment. Because uh, somehow it's in a lot of areas and you know culture it might still be a kind of like a taboo subject where people avoid talking about it because they think talking about money and finance will be damaging to the current relationships right so which is why today we just want to go over like that kind of tabooish thing maybe some strategies to handle your personal finance better we may even tip in the water surface of things like investing yeah, I, I must admit, uh, well, ever since I got my first job, even back, this is back in my home country when I was 18, I was ever, even back then, I was um, trying, I was try, I tried actually to be very diligent about money. I guess, and I guess how I learned about the importance of money back then was just um, observing my parents. Uh, I know how, uh, how much of a tough life they had. They had to mm-hmm. really work so hard to provide a living for us. When we bought our first home, when my parents bought their first home, I know how much it meant to them. And seeing them going through that, I really cherished those moments. And ever since I got my first job, like this is back in Bernard's Coast, so I would say um, 20 or 21st, I didn't mm-hmm. start working too early. But even back then, I started really uh, realizing how important it is and starting saving to some extent, not probably as great as it was. That said, I think my mindset about money was very much narrow. Like the limit of it was, okay, you make money, you make sure you save and just put it in the banks, which I'm going to probably talk later on. Probably that's not the best way you should Mm -hmm. be saving because the banks are probably not always there to support you, you know, judging by how the savings accounts pay um, and probably the interest rates in Canada are very low. I think they're barely 1% at at most at some time. so probably there are better avenues for a lot of people to actually invest their funds. Fast forward in Canada, even when I, I remember when I started opening my first account, but as soon as I came to Canada, I opened my first banking account because it's so important. You want to make sure that you have a place that you can save, you can put your deposit your funds in. I remember when the bank 
teller was asking me, okay, so we can open a registered retirement savings plan for you here, an RSP account. I had no idea what that is, but because of their, you know, their kind of, they convinced me, I opened one. Uh, but when I was asked, okay, so there are different types of investing that you can put your money in and you can deposit money every month. Would you like to be maybe, uh, what's your risk tolerance? At the time, mm -hmm. admittedly, my risk tolerance was very low. I was not willing at all to do anything because of course you're just getting started. But over time, now that I reflect back on my journey, I wished I knew about the power of investing and not just saving, but the power of investing perhaps when I was that young, when I was perhaps 18 or 20. I, I, I feel that I lost all those years. Nonetheless, it's better late than never, but if, if I had the chance to go back, I would have definitely 100% started to educate myself on investing back when I was 18 or 20 and started investing at that young age because those are really your golden uh, years uh, when you look back at your journey of financial discipline. Can I ask a, a quick question between before we get to the, the rest of it? Um, so in your 20s, so, so me and Mustafa are in our 30s now, right? So we've had our time to, uh, to be uh, silly and uh, make some mistakes. Well, what, when you look at the purchasing decisions you made in your 20s, what was the biggest one you maybe not re regretted, but like you felt like, man, I should have put this money towards something uh, more. So what was that one purchase or two or type of purchases you did as a, in your 20s? That's a good question. I have, I have one, but I'm a bit torn about mine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I have one, but um, I guess, uh, you know, when you're young, and this is full disclosure, I've never mentioned it probably all, ever, ever, uh, anywhere before. So I guess in the, uh, the power of the podcast, yeah, yes, the power, power of podcast, transparency, I guess when you're young and you're going through, you know, um, that your youth, of course, you meet um, your your friends and you start, you know, dating. And I think there's one thing that probably I learned is uh, being aware of your expenses, even at such a young age, especially at that age, you're so excited. You want to just go out and spend and it can really snowball um, really quickly. And I think if there's one thing that I would, I would probably would have wanted to be more aware of is how much I spend at the time. And probably if I were more diligent about how much I spent, that would have probably uh, been a better decision for me. Of course, you can't predict future. So you never know at the time when you meet someone, you think they are the one and you're going to fall in love and you're, you're going to get married. So of course, you want to dedicate as much as attention and perhaps resources to that relationship. But turns out that, that was not the, uh, the right decision. So I regret that, but it's, I think it comes with this age at the same time. So, so, so the lesson there, don't on, on dating... A girl or boy, I guess, <laughs> be yeah. careful about how much you're investing uh, into the relationship financially and making sure it's an actual investment. Okay. No, that's uh, that's actually very honest. I yeah. mean, take note, I, take note, take yours? note. <laughs> if you are you're comfortable sharing, what was, what, what was the one thing that you So it's, it's similar. It's similar, but, um, you know, I was always a car, car guy. I did buy a convertible at 26. Um, and I call it a quarter life crisis so that I could basically spend frivolously um, and have an excuse for it. So I took a loan out for a car, this car. It was like twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000. I had a staff loan. So it was kind of like, okay, I get low interest. And I, and I had two cars and I lived in downtown, right? So I had, a, I had a, a Corolla that I kept because it was better on gas. And I had this convertible and I lived downtown where parking is, it was just took up so much of my energy, not even financial energy, just energy. And the car was like hard to maintain and and stuff like that. The thing, the why I say it's kind of, it was kind of, it's kind of interesting is because 
I also met my wife when I had the car. Now I'm not saying that's the reason Korea and I got together, but um, you know, it just happened to correlate with each other. And I think after we started dating for six months, I sold the car, which maybe this is another um, question for you is, is there anything you sold or anything you did that, you know, you should have kept because that car, that Honda I had is a very rare car now. And I sold it at a loss to improve my cash flow. So I thought I was being smart, right? So I sold it. I had it for a year, a year and a half. And I think I sold it for one or $2,000 less than I purchased it for, including tax. So I was like, you know, I got, I got some use out of it. You know, I'm, I'm dating someone now. So in terms of a, a in terms of a car to, uh, to attract dates, you know, it, it worked in that mindset. But at the same time, that car is now worth maybe double of what I sold it for. It was, it was kind of like, oh, I should, if I spent that money on something else or saved it, I wouldn't be paying interest on it. At the same time, if I kept it, it would have been a solid asset to save. So that's my side story about my regret. Anything, Nick, you're young, but anything you regret uh, buying? Well, first of all, I mean, um, because, you know, of the type of shit I have and things I have to worry about daily and everything, like it's, of course, there's there haven't been any purchases that is as big as you guys did, right? In terms of amount. Um, wow, actually, I don't have a thing that I regret buying now. I'm doing right, I'm doing right. <laughs> that's, that's really good. But at the end of the day, I think the moral of the story is, yeah. um, you know, being aware of what, like I think a lot of times uh, it's talked in, in this topic of finance, being aware of what is the things that we want and what are the things that we need. And now I don't mean to say that you should never ever buy something that you want because you don't need it. There comes a point in your life where perhaps you've built in a good emergency fund, you have your finances all um, you know, together and it's all uh, clear. So now you want to perhaps go and maybe spend something that really means a lot to you. Perhaps it's that, that your dream vacation or perhaps it's going out to a restaurant or things like that or perhaps buying even that car that really, it was your dream car. Um, that's fine. As, at the end of the day, as long as you're comfortable that this is really um, the decision that you're making and you've considered what else you could do with that and uh, whether that's maybe delayed gratification, the concept of delayed gratification, sometimes if you wait on it, you might end up investing that perhaps funds and maybe getting a lot better return and down the road in several years, you now not only can, not only can you, you afford that car, but perhaps can even buy other things that you wanted with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's just understanding why you're making your purchase decision mm -hmm. and being able to live with it and doing that articulation in your head. So even if you make a bad purchase, you learn from it, or or maybe there's a future value that you're not aware of. Like I was unaware of that future value. I was just mm -hmm. like, okay, it's costing me this much per month, and you know it's not very practical. So right, but if I actually thought about it as an investment or like something I wanted to keep, like I had space in my parents' home to keep it. Um, and, and use it in the summertime, but I just kept thinking about like just the, the cost and not kind of the the future value of the investment. If you, I mean, usually cars aren't investments, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is, I bought a unique car and didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about that that as an investment. Um, um, so yeah, Nick, tell me. Yeah, I mean, you know, because like my ideal dream car is like to go into a, a Tesla place and you know just buy a tesla outright but that that's that's in the far future but you know just touching on what you've been talking about so far because one of my strategies is actually to create like a like a wish list to be honest i've always felt urge to buy 
certain stuff at a certain time, especially during last Black Friday or Christmas is coming, or even on my birthday, right? I go and hey Nick, like why don't you treat yourself, yeah, like, buy this stuff, right? You know, you're young, right? You can always make money later, right? Just buy this stuff, and who knows, you might be really happy with it. So sometimes I feel like that, and it it might be a really truthful feeling. It, the object, the product, might actually bring me a lot of value and happiness, right? But I want to, I wanted to factor in my brain and not just my heart. So I always create a wish list, leave it there for like at least thirty days. If I still want it, then I just go out and purchase it. We're going a little bit off topic, but just one last point about this consumerism and like kind of what you spend your money on. What I've actually looked at now is I don't know if you'd agree, Mustafa. When I buy things, I buy slightly higher quality in case I want to resell it. Because the residual value of what I buy now is more is important because, like Nick said, you know, I change my mind or things might change. So residual value of of high end purchases is, is much. And now because with Facebook Marketplace and all these different avenues to resell your products, um, you know, it doesn't have to always all be be junk, right? Mm-hmm. So Can I know. Can you give me an example of what item do you're thinking? Maybe okay, ex- I give you an example right here. It's right in front of my face. It's this blue Yeti. Okay. This microphone. So I bought it used and I was between buying a very cheap mic just to get started, right? To buy some other uh, versions um, and they're all kind of the same quality, but I decided on the Blue Yeti because it's a known brand. It's reliable. It's now by, by, bought by Logitech, actually. They own the, the Blue brand. Um, for the last 10 years, it's pretty much been the same device at the same price. So the retail price has been pretty similar. There's not a lot of innovation and like, evolution in the microphone space really you know other than the fact that some new microphones use a usb-c this uses an older usb but the sound is it's it's about the 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 sound of the condenser right but one of the major purposes why i bought this over another brand was because if i put this on facebook marketplace people know what blue yeti is mm-hmm. right the brand. and after using this for six months if i don't want to use it anymore i can probably get the same price back and that's what I told Nick, and that's why Nick has one. <laughs> yeah, I bought a used one. I bought he bought a used one too. So Nick, you can probably sell that for the same price or more. Um, it came yeah. with a boom mom. Yeah. Heads up. That's actually a good point, though. Like you know, you're 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 trying to pick items uh, that obviously you need. In this case, you're using it for the podcast, but at the same time, you're trying to be uh, kind of cautious about whether it's going to lose its value right off the bat. And that's why I think the, what I really liked about um, this whole concept and you told me is the fact that you actually didn't even go and buy a necessarily brand new one because the used one is still giving you the same quality but you're getting it for yeah. a discount and that's to be honest which is something that I always love one yeah. concept that I would probably want to socialize here is the fact that a lot of times especially if you want to change your mindset how you're going to approach different products or different um, items that you perhaps buy or invest in is thinking about what value does it bring for you Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, there are different asset class out there. Like by asset class, I mean different avenues where you can invest in or you can try to explore. Imagine if you buy a car, the moment you drive uh, drive off the car, um, drive the car off the lot, mm-hmm. it's just going to lose its value right right away. Probably twenty yeah. percent of the value is gone. And for the most part, it's a uh, it's one of those um, uh, items where it depreciates in value, right? Whereas, for example, stock market, if it's selected carefully. 
for the most part, over, over years, over time, it's actually appreciated, it increases in value. And not only that, there are various stocks that also pay a, a periodic, perhaps quarterly or monthly dividend. They mm -hmm. just pay you because you're actually investing in that asset class and you're a shareholder in that company. For me, I rarely ever buy Starbucks and I know it sounds weird. I yeah. don't get me wrong, I do, but I rather, for instance, just as a, give an example, I feel a lot more happier when I use that money and buy a share of a Star Starbucks company as opposed to going and buying Starbucks, a cup of Starbucks. Yeah. Now, I love Starbucks, don't get me wrong, but I think for, it's a change in mindset. And not everybody can be like that, but for me, I'm a lot more comfortable doing that because I know that money is actually going to help me um, create more money. The mo my money is working for me as opposed to I'm giving the money to Starbucks. But I'm glad a lot of people don't think this way because otherwise Starbucks... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Mustafa, I've, I've been really hype up and excited when you start talking about, you know, stocks and dividends and all those stuff. But, you know, from, from my own research, right, because I've been trying to dip my toe in this kind of stock market waters and everything. Um, I also know that it's, it's a more advanced or later steps in your personal finance journey. And, and it does of course, um, high risk come high reward, right? So if you have those kind of reward and returns from the stock market, there's risk that comes with it, right? So, so you've been talking about, you know, we should jump into, we, we should think about investing in the stock markets and getting those returns, but right? what would you say some of the first few steps that one should take, especially someone young like me, before they, you know, dip their toe into the stock market and how should they, optimize you know their situation to make sure that they already take on the challenge as well as you know get those rewards while minimizing the risk and the, the danger of the stock market absolutely it's a great question nick uh, i think knowing what i know now the, the probably the, my my advice to um the people who are who are not familiar the youth who are not familiar maybe with so much that much with investing and are interested because they hear a lot about it but they don't know how to start i think it's the most important step is probably educating yourself and learning some of the basics. Um, we talked a little bit about the, the YouTube channel that I started. It's called Momentum Finance and uh, Stock Investing. Uh, Momentum is M-O-E-M-E-N-T-U-M. -E -E and that's a wordplay. Uh, my name is Mustafa. I go by Mo. And I thought, oh, I love to uh, encourage people. I like to motivate people and give them the momentum to get started. Because a lot of times it's always hardest. Um, up until the time that you start. Once you start, and same goes for your podcast channel. Like, you know, you start and over time you learn from that experience. Same goes with the world of investing. You have to start somewhere and that starting probably step would be learning about it more. Um, so essentially there is a video on this channel uh, that is 25 minutes. It's called um, Stock Market Investing for Beginners. I encourage you to go and watch that. It's a summarized version of a Wealth Symbol Masterclass, which is almost an hour. If you're interested, you can go and check that out. But in, in simple terms, it tells you what is a stock, why stock market investing is actually a good way to, for anyone who has a longer term time horizon, especially for many of our youth, to put some portion of their money that they don't need immediately and um, build it over time. I think getting started with, uh, with that by educating yourself is so important. And there are tons of resources out there. There are books on investing. There are books around financial discipline. There are a lot of great YouTube channels. I myself even follow a lot of uh, great YouTubers out there. Uh, Graham Stephan is definitely one of those. 
Jeremy in financial education, he has three channels now. He's again, one of those great guys you can listen to and they talk about different um, piece of investing. If you're a beginner to investing though, my advice definitely would be don't necessarily go and pick a stock. You can definitely get educated, start opening an account, ideally take advantage of the registered account that we have in Canada. We have tax-free savings account, a registered retirement savings plan. Those allows you to invest without having to deal with taxes or any of those uh, matters. And then from there on, maybe consider investing in a broad range of uh, stocks to index funds. Index funds, essentially what they do is you don't have to go and pick a different company. And instead, you invest in a broad-based stock market. Uh, as if, imagine, you, and you can start with as little as even $2 or $5. Imagine, Nick, today you say, you know what, I have $2 in my pocket. Or rather than going and buying um, something with these $2, why don't I invest in my future? Why don't I put this money towards my future and put that to buy a portion of a, a stock, in this case, an index funds. So with the beauty of it in the index fund is that you don't necessarily have to buy a big chunk. You can even start with $1, $2. doesn't matter how big or small it is. And over time, as you progress and as you see your money grows, I think that gives you that uh, drive and momentum that you want to maintain what you're doing, essentially. Wow. What do you think of that advice, Carapol? I definitely agree. Uh, I think we, we talk about learning by doing in scouting. Mm -hmm. So just to bring it back to scouting, right? learning by doing. You, you can always play those like stock games and you can always, you know, I, I try to when I didn't have as much money, but I was interested in the stock market. But at the end of the day, put something in there and whether it's index funds or choosing your own, I think being invested is, is kind of part of the learning experience, right? And putting it in something that has a longer time horizon and that maybe you shouldn't be touching for short-term uh, consumer gifts and things that we talked about earlier, it, it, it's about habits, right? It's about habits. As long as you get a habit, five, 10, $20, when you start getting experience, when you start learning how to use this war chest of investment, you're that much more prepared and capable because if, if you're, if you're 30 years old and you have no savings and you're like, okay, I'm going to design a saving now. Well, it's not that it's too late. It's just that you have nothing to invest. Even if you, your intention is good, if you didn't save up properly and if you didn't put money in the market, you can't take advantage of the wealth and knowledge that you, you have now. I definitely agree with the, that approach. Um, That's so true. Those habits are so important, Paul, as you mentioned, and, and the best way of, um, building those proper habits is of course getting started and at the same time perhaps getting started with avenues that are a little bit uh, personally i would think it's better to start at two avenues that are less risky and i think mm -hmm. index one is probably a very good avenue to get started with i know a lot of um, i'm not sure if any of our listeners are familiar with um, one of the uh, jim kramer who's actually the host of the show mad money he is used to be a he calls it almost like a oh, the term I kind of escaped my mind like fund manager yeah, exactly. Thanks, Paul. He's actually one of the famous, used to be one of the famous fund managers, not anymore, but he provides a lot of great advice in his shows. But essentially, even him, and he loves stock picking, even him, he believes that majority of investors are better off investing in index funds. It's a passive way of investing. You're not going to necessarily get the highest return, but even that return of average of, let's say, 5 to 6% is a lot better than what you would have got from the bank, investing in the bank accounts. So I think it's a good way to get started over time. You educate yourself, you learn. For me, I remember when I didn't know much about stock investing, but I was interested, I almost played the game in my head and I jotting down some notes. So I went up and look, looked up the companies that I was interested in and knew about, let's say Starbucks or Nike or whatever you name it, and looked at what is the stock price for that company at this time? And I would just play a game and say, hey, what if I 
bought one share of this company or what if I bought $1,000 into this company and I did check back in it in a week. This was all hypothetical, but at least I would know, well, did I make that right decision or did I not make that decision? And am I ready for that? If I'm not, then that just tells you maybe you shouldn't just necessarily put your money and buy a stock because you're not ready for it yet. You could still perhaps invest through an index funds, which is a lot less volatile and allows you to kind of diversify and lower your risk. There's two parts here. Right? I think the first part is obviously the behavior and like just saving or investing or putting money away that's not put towards consuming. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's the first point here. I think we got to get young people into that mode where they're saving and they're, they're not uh, spending as much. I think, I think people are. And you bring up Jim Cramer, and I've been watching some of his stuff recently. And this is on uh, MSNBC. Nick, if you want to catch this guy, Jim Cramer. Some people don't necessarily agree with his approach. Like he's very, like, very loud and kind of general in certain areas. But um, seems like my type. <laughs> his, his, his recent take actually is this. And, you know, when it comes to investing, you know, it does, it, it used to have a lot more to do with if companies were actually making money. And, and margins. And, um, you know, you can go and look up your, you know, basic finance 101 course, uh, in terms of uh, what the company is doing with the money that they're making or money that's being invested with them. But his take recently was that, you know, right now, because of how easy it is for people to buy stocks, it's, it's made it much more transparent and much more, um, there's less uh, barrier to buying a stock before you had to call somebody, you know, 50 years ago, you call someone, they get, they get, the, they get the, the price and you purchase and it was very cumbersome. But now you can go on your phone, right? And you can actually buy part of a share with an app like Robinhood in the States. Mm-hmm. So in the States, you can buy fractional shares and we won't get into that for this channel. But basically it's allowing people who normally don't have the capital to buy a certain share um, to basically crowdfund a way to buy a share. So it's it's people like myself, maybe a little bit. I mean, I have a bit more finance background, but it's people like, you know, the population, the young population, Jim Cramer was saying that they're driving their stock prices, not through fundamentals, not through financial um, savvy, but just through like how you feel about a certain product industry, because it's those products that are actually making a lot of money. So, okay, let's, let's put the habit. Okay. Let's assume everyone is now saver stuff right so so maybe we'll go towards the stock more if they want to use stock picking as their avenue of investment right because there's different ways you can buy antiques you can you can buy bonds you can um, buy real estate so let's let's go towards the stock investment because i think that's what your channel is more focused on correct Mm -hmm. yeah Um, how how would you maybe as a young person or even today decide which investments to choose which stock investments to choose maybe that nick does that help answer some of your questions yeah i'm just gonna jump in before you know mustafa gives us his wisdom and everything right maybe we should have discussed this or say the sentence first before we jump into any of this conversation but uh, to our listeners you know out there please do your own diligence <laughs> we are not telling you which stocks to buy we like we're discussing you know we're offering suggestions and everything right but at the end of the day Right, the one who's gonna reap the rewards from the stock market or kind of earn the punishment is you, right? So make sure you do your own diligence, right? And we Look at hope. Nick being... <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, and we hope that you know you make the wisest and best choice for yourself. Okay, so now Mustafa, so give us your wisdom. <laughs> no, that was that was that was a good uh, disclaimer, Nick. Yeah, and I think that's one of the ones that definitely 
we should put out there. So thanks for clarifying that. I think, um, so I'm hoping I answer your question. Probably I'm not gonna necessarily mention a lot of stock names, but definitely trying to give some pointers in terms of what I think. And this is solely my uh, perspective. And as, as Nick mentioned, it's for entertainment purposes only. Uh, but all the jokes aside, I think one thing I wanna mention is, I think Paul, you, you touched on this. It's so important that um, anyone who's interested in investing, make sure to have your emergency fund. And a lot, there's a lot of research on this. Uh, by emergency fund and how much it should be, they usually talk about something between three to six months of your expenses. So part of that is making sure you budget. So make sure, uh, I think to get started, but probably this is one of the first things that I would do encourage anyone to do. It's so, so important. As you go through your life every day, as anytime you spend something, whether it's through cash, credit card and whatnot, make sure to keep track of it. I know there are different apps that do that for you, but the other way is just simply you can have a pen and paper. Do this for at least a month, ideally longer, but even at least a month. Then this is a chance for you to come back to that list, review that list and know where did your money go to? What are the categories? For example, 20% of your fund or your expenses was related to um, groceries. Maybe a big portion was from accommodation because you're renting or um, maybe transportation, whatever that is. This really gives you a chance to, as Paul mentioned, take a moment to reflect on it. Is this the best uh, you know, use of your money? It's your hard earned money. You're working so hard for it. So do you think this is really where you want your money to go to? Are there opportunities for you to perhaps cut some of those expenses? This is probably one of the more important steps for anyone to do. And then through that exercise, I think it gives you a chance to perhaps even set some targets for yourself. I know targets is not something um, like everyone likes, but I think it's important. We do that for, for our own household. And Paul, you were asking earlier on, for example, how has it impacted my lifestyle? Obviously, for example, we are now that because we are doing the budgeting and we go through our expenses, we notice, for example, our grocery expenses have gone up. But now it gives us that visibility and then we can make a deliberate choice. Are we comfortable with that? Or do we want to perhaps cut on some of those costs? So I think that's so important. Make sure you do that. And as you go through that exercise, you know how much you're spending per month. Now it's multiplied by three or roughly six. So, uh, that number is how much you should have invested in, sorry, not invested, but you should have saved perhaps in a bank account or wherever you feel that it's safe for you to hold onto it because that money is there in case something, God forbid, happens that you need the money if you lose your job or if suddenly your social income is no longer there. So it's important for you to have that emergency fund. Now, moving past that, if you, are, uh, if you have an emergency fund, the next step is for you to decide on if you wanna invest, what is your time horizon? And it's again, so, so important. Imagine you have a $5,000 leftover that it's not part of your emergency fund or even $1,000 and you wanna invest it. How soon are you gonna need this, in, this money? Is it good? Are you gonna need this maybe in the next one to two years? Let's say if you wanna buy a car, hopefully not, or buy a house, much better decision. Uh, in that case, maybe you don't wanna necessarily invest it in the stock market. Or if you are, you're probably gonna invest it in some sort of uh, stocks that are less volatile, that you're not gonna necessarily lose um, that money because you're gonna to have to withdraw that money right away. But if your time horizon is longer, especially if you're younger, then I would encourage a lot of our young listeners to get educated. But after that, if you don't need their money for the next five to 10 years, I would probably consider investing in more riskier um, stock options as long as 
they're they have the stomach for it as long as they're comfortable seeing their the the, the money that they invested actually going down in in the value if you are comfortable with that then probably that's a really good option for you because you're going to rip the benefit long term there's a lot i think there's a lot to consider i think i think for our listeners it's very important that you educate yourselves through um you know watching your videos uh, or or doing their own research because uh, these things are always changing too, right? Like just because we talk about this now today, you know, exactly. six months from now, it could, it could change. So being very um, open and um, aware of your investments and investing in general, I think is, it's an important part of being a good investor. Like I did put money in say a mutual fund 10 years ago, my RSPs. I took it out recently because it wasn't gaining or it wasn't losing that much, but it wasn't, you know, it was, I'm not getting, I wasn't getting value from the investments I was put into. And I felt that if I did it myself and put into things that I felt I believed in and do some of the, the light research, we could get equal or, or greater gains because sometimes fund managers or investments are so broad. They cover, they're, they're kind of mutual funds, especially, right? They're, they cover a purpose, a large group of people that is not specific for you. So there's a benefit there for you to do the type of research you've done, Mustafa, to find out what's the best investment for, for yourself, right? Is that fair okay. to say? That's so true. So I know we had this point before and maybe, and I distracted and I apologize for that, but we were just going through the story about your YouTube channel and your personal finance journey. So I'd like to get back to that because I think that will explain for us a lot of how that has one affected the way you are approaching finance now. Right. But two, it's also like, okay, so if I'm not, I'm not sure if you're getting any of this in your comments in YouTube or, or uh, anything like that, but like, why should people listen to you or like what, do you feel like you bring to the table that they couldn't get from like their banker? So maybe tell us a little bit more about kind of that story. How did you get to the point where you are now? And, and what do you think your, your value proposition as a, as a finance a YouTube person um, comes to play? Yeah. Thanks Paul. That's a great question. So I, I started my channel um, with the momentum finance and stock investing uh, back in March of 2019. So it's been about one and a half year. Um, there, there are a couple of reasons why I started that channel. Um, I think the most important reason, though, is I definitely, um, and over over years, I grew that desire and interest in the topic. So I thought, you know, if I kind of challenge myself and um, do this research and have to make videos, it actually gives me another opportunity to share it with other people, hopefully um, do my, my share in terms of educating others. And through that sharing and learning, you learn a lot as well. I'm, I'm sure probably the same experience through this podcast. You're having different guests, um, and through that conversation, we all learn from each other. I, I'm I'm actually learning quite a lot from this conversation itself. So, having said that, I think that was definitely one of the major motivations for me why I wanted to get started with that. The other one is, um, you know, YouTube of course has an option whereby you can monetize over time, and there are a couple of criteria for that. Of course, you have to have at least 1,000 subscribers, and you have within a year time, you have to have at least 4,000 hours of watch time on your videos. So I'm, I'm glad to mention that, of course, our channel is monetized. Uh, it actually got monetized in August, um, right before my wedding. So that was probably one of the oh, wedding, gift, yeah. wedding gifts from YouTube. Uh, I was excited about. Other than that, of course, it's something that I, I, as I put more effort into it, I do see how it's actually um, giving back in terms of both monetary aspect, but also in terms of how my subscribers are growing and how my subscribers are actually connecting with the content. You know, I go through each and every comment that is provided on the, on the YouTube videos and respond to them. There are many of the audience in my YouTube channels that actually I know now 
uh, we've connected several times through um, through the comments. Funny story, actually, one of the individuals they they actually contacted us by email, and we almost became friends, and we actually even talked over the phone. And this individual is actually now living overseas. Um, but mm. I guess you make some of those connections, and you you want to do it more because you see how you're bringing value to to your audience and to yourself. You learn through that experience. The reason I say my channel is um, perhaps what's the value proposition for my channel is the fact that unlike probably several uh, famous YouTubers where they have millions uh, invested in the stock market or they have tons of uh, ton of real estate invested, I am, I'm still probably newer to this whole field. Um, I'm not necessarily from the richest family, but I'm, I'm pleased with how through determination, through hard work, I, I could get to where I am today from humble beginnings and where, and also I have a vision for where I want to be in the, mm -hmm. in the next several years. I do want to hopefully get to a point that I can retire early. Uh, the whole concept of the FIRE, the yeah. Financial Independence Retire Early Movement. I, I, I'm pursuing that and I'm hoping that through, this, through my journey, I can inspire other people who are probably like-minded and maybe don't know where to get started. Hopefully I can provide them a couple of um, air, uh, thoughts and inspire them to also get started. So, so, I mean, we were talking earlier about your, your financial disposition, like your, your disposition towards your financial, like personal finance. So was that at the same, were you always thinking like a YouTube channel back then? Yeah. So I'm going to be honest with you. Um, maybe one of the key uh, drivers for that was as you watch other people making uh, YouTube videos. So of course mm -hmm. the finance topic is key to my core right now. Yeah. I can tell you for sure. I love it. Uh, I can't go one day without checking the, how the stock market mm -hmm. is doing. Uh, I just love it so much. Nonetheless, the more I watched um, different YouTube and I, the, one of the ways I educated myself was watching other people. And you try to get perspective from different people. You just don't blindly listen to them and go buy a stock. Of course, that's never how I've done it. Um, but I've listened to them. And as I mentioned earlier on and a little bit of promotion, I, I know he doesn't need the promotion. Graham Stephan, he has close to, I think over a million uh, subscribers. He's, he's very famous in, as a YouTube world in the world of finance. And I think one thing that he does so well is he tries to make it so simple for everybody. So he always talks about generic topics. Um, so I, obviously I watch his videos, but he even reflected on how he started. If you look at back to his first video and how basic it was, pretty, pretty much recorded on a cell phone, holding onto his phone like that and recording that and where he is today in just a matter of three years and his transformation, that to me is, is just uh, so inspiring. To me, I'm all, all about continuous improvement and improving yourself. And I think mm -hmm. that's just the ultimate way of how you can grow. And I, I, I love making videos. I love editing videos. That's always been a side passion of mine. And I thought, well, why am I making editing videos for all these other people as part of my other consulting job that I have, uh, side hustles, but why can't I spend that same time and do it for myself? What's the worst that can happen? Nothing. The worst thing is going to happen, at least I'm going to have make those videos and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to watch uh, them one day, one day when I have my own kids, I'm going to show them, hey, you know what, look at this, how what I did, and hopefully that's going to be inspiring to them. So that's the type of motivation that I had. Uh, but of course, knowing what's the potential, if you grow as a business, it could turn into a very solid side uh, income as well. So definitely I look forward to that as well. And mm -hmm. the best way to do that is by providing quality content. And that's what I'm inspiring towards. What is what has been your challenge with? Um, okay, so maybe we're shifting more to the the YouTube um, aspect of it. 
so wh what challenges have you seen in terms of uh, running a finance? Like, where do you do your research from a finance perspective so that you can actually, you know, kind of speak to the topic, maybe not necessarily be a, a finance fund manager point of view, right? From just a regular everyday investor point of view, what has been your uh, challenges in, in doing the research and uh, have people kind of like called you? I'm like, hey man, that's not the, that's not the right thing to, to say. It, it has happened a couple of times. Like it has happened a couple of times that, um, for example, someone may have commented on, on a video um, and quite disagreed maybe with the approach. Um, and I think that's one of the learning lessons as well is that when you get started on your journey and whatever that journey is, whether it's starting a YouTube channel, whether it's starting a new project, whether it's starting a podcast mm -hmm. or even editing a video, whatever that is, don't get discouraged because keep that in mind. Um, take that uh, criticism uh, with a grain of salt, try to listen to it, of course, and see if there is any, uh, anything that you can learn from it. I think that's really important because to be honest, we, we got some feedback back then that maybe the, there was a background music to this uh, video that it's too loud and it's a very valid feedback. Well, yeah, you have to balance it out. Uh, there are, of course, some feedback that maybe you don't quite agree because, and while you respect their opinion, because that's their research, they have done their own research and they have their own perspectives, we, we agree to disagree on certain things and that's fine. Uh, I guess that's really a key takeaway for me. Uh, one thing I find sometimes challenging and I think I have to remind myself always is that when, at least in the YouTube world, sometimes you have to overcome the temptation of talking about the stock or um, you know, an investment topic that is the hot topic of the day. Uh, because if you make a video on it, probably you're gonna get more views on versus picking a topic that you're more comfortable with, you have really done a lot more research on. So that's a temptation that I have, to, I personally sometimes struggle with. So if I uh, kind of get tempted to work on topics that are the hot topics, I try to still do my proper research and provide my own perspective on that topic. Because I think my, my viewers are watching the video because they're perhaps interested in not only about the topic, but also hopefully what unique perspective I have on that and what's my exactly. take on what's my interpretation on it. Okay. I've been sitting here and you know, absorb all of these nuggets here and there, right? So uh, for any listeners out there, you know, feel free to pause and revisit replay of this part right here because I think there's a lot of stuff that you can learn every time you re-listen to it. And somehow, right, one of the things that I've I kind of realized, right, after all of these talks about YouTube, comments and learning about yourself, you know, like why edit, taking the editing side hustles to, you know, surf for yourself, as well as tying back to scout posts, talk about investments, all of that. I think, I think it's, it's that all of us will agree that investing in yourself is kind of like the safest and the most rewarding way to get returns, right? I couldn't say it any better than what you just said, Nick. Absolutely true. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. I think you're absolutely right. The, the investing in yourself is only probably the only type of investment that uh, returns all the time. You're you're not gonna disappoint if, if you pick the right field, of course, right? I think it's a very good way. Uh, and be mindful about it. Be be um, know what your passions are in life. Like what is that one or two things perhaps that you are most excited about? And is there a way that you can turn that passion into uh, a business potentially, or something that you can perhaps earn some income from it? Um, you talked about video editing. That's something that I'm passionate about. 
building on that, I started my own company. And right now I provide services in terms of video editing, social media marketing, and digital marketing. And I love it, you know. Um, don't tell my boss necessarily, but I dare to say I love it perhaps as much as I, my day job. I love it. The, the time I spend on that is almost um, perhaps the best reward that I am providing to myself because I'm learning. And as, as the more I do it, the, the better I get at it. So it's just incredible how over time um, you can build your own skills. You get more confident in, in terms of what you're offering and uh, you learn from that experience as well. So Masav, you were, you were saying earlier between your twenties and your thirties, like, right. So was there, was there a trigger you think, or would you think it was just, cause I remember you having like that entrepreneurial mindset early on. Right. I mean, even though, you know, we're just trying to find some stability at the time when you first came to Canada, was there a trigger like from, from, you know, working in Canada for a little bit, doing different jobs and then, you know, making that big move, like, was there a, uh, a trigger for you to to have this shift in in, in investment and in investing in specifically uh, or do you think it was more gradual like just through like even the world like I, I got interested in certain things because you know for COVID for you know like in the podcast things because there's just so much more media was it a gradual thing for you to get into finance and investing or was it always like you were doing it when you were younger and, and then you just had the time and capability you know, no, I think good question, Paul. That transition to really getting more serious in terms of uh, getting to the investment world per se was, I would say, it was a gradual, and it wasn't even at the time I started with investing. So officially, I started buying my in Canada, buying my first stock to an index fund back in 2017. So okay, so I almost lost three years uh, in in between. I was investing to mutual funds, of course, banks, which. For any listeners out there, you might disagree, but I never ever recommend a mutual fund. Keep in mind, whatever um, area that you invest in, keep in mind the cost that you're paying for it. Well, a lot of times that's the thing that a lot of times we don't even think about. Mutual funds are good because you're, you have a fund manager who's investing your money for you and it's good because, or maybe you don't have the knowledge, but know what's the price that you're paying for it. You're easily paying two plus percent for that, whereas to Paul's point, now there are a lot of alternative ways of investing, whether it's passive investing or active investing, where the, the fee is a lot less. Like uh, passive, there are passive investing options out there that only charge you half a percent. Mm. And half a percent compared to two percent may not sound a lot, but over the span of a long, uh, over long term, like or a span of 20 years or 30 years, that can easily um, span out to almost maybe half a million, depending on how much money, of course, you've invested, of course, keep that in mind. Now, just to tell you maybe transparently how maybe even immature maybe I was even when I initially started my investing back in 2017. So I started investing with Wealth Simple. Wealth Simple is mm -hmm. a Canadian brokerage firm that makes it so simple and easy as the name says to get started with investing. You don't need to know, have any knowledge of investing whatsoever uh, as long as you're disciplined and have the right mindset. You can open an account, any type of account with them. So I opened a tax-free savings account with them and I started putting $5. Over time, more money. And there came a point where initially I had up to $500 invested with them. And because my mindset at the time was not the greatest, um, the stock market, of course, well, it was volatile at the time. And I remember my money, the value of my money went down. Let's say I had $500 invested and it went down to, let's say, $380. So I lost a little bit in, the, in that process. Keep in mind, that loss is unrealized loss. What I mean by that is you're not losing anything. It's just on paper, 
you're only losing it if you start selling what you have. Like if you don't sell anything, you're not losing anything. Um, same goes, of course, for your uh, game. If you haven't sold anything, you're not ripping any games. So I contacted Boss Simple and I was very pissed with them. It's like, what's this supposed to be? I'm supposed mm -hmm. to make money. Why is this the case? Yeah. Uh, and and I, I mentioned to them, I'm actually considering to close my account. Let me know how I can do that. But to that yeah, point, yeah, yeah. and I'm glad I got the response that I got from Wealth Simple. And they got back to me with an article. They linked to an article. They said, this is part of investing. You've got to be comfortable with the, your ups and downs. But read this article because what they said is that essentially what I mentioned to you, you haven't lost anything until you sold it and you have to be diligent. And the, probably the best advice that I got was when your portfolio is doing poor, if you're investing in the broad market, that's the best time to invest more. And that's the lesson that I learned ever since then. If, you're, if you're, the value of your stocks go down, think about it. The stock market is being presented to you at a, at a discount. If the value of the index fund goes down, it is being presented to you at a discount. And over time, you're gonna really see how it's gonna be to your advantage. So back in March, when the stock market was really down, that was the best time for a lot of investors to invest. And even though at the time you invested in the stock market as a whole, and you didn't know nothing about picking the right stock, since March until now, in a couple of months, your value of the investment would have probably gone down by easily, I would say 40 to 50%, easy. Uh, and I say easy, it's not as easy because you have to have the guts and belief and um, you know, the mindset that, well, you know what, I trust that it's gonna come back. And I've got to come to that realization right now I wasn't there back in 2017, and I know many people are not even today, but it just, by going through that education and getting to the right mindset, I think you build that. And the sooner you do that, the better you are set for your future. So do you still have that Wealth Simple account? I do, in fact, I do. And I, um, it actually, I actually grew it to close to 50 to $60,000. And then we recently bought a house, so we had to withdraw money from it. Mm -hmm. But I'm still keeping that account. I'm still putting money into it. Right now, because I know more about stock investing, I tend to also invest actively, meaning I pick stocks too, yeah. but I'm still trying to build it a habit that I, like, you know, every day, probably the, 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 fun, the most fun thing that I do every day is just, I open my Simple uh, account and I go to invest and I just say, you know what, let's put $5 into that account. And I make those uh, pulse decision, but the pulse, uh, impulse decision, sorry, the impulse decision is not for buying something, but rather investing in my future. And I love it because the app actually shows you uh, hypothetically speaking, this $5 that you put now over the span of the next 30 years, it actually grows to almost $100. Can you imagine you put $5, but in 30 years, it's going to grow to 100 years. Who wouldn't love that? I love it. It just makes me excited even now as I'm talking about it. Yeah, I can definitely hear the enthusiasm. Um, yeah. Nick, do you have any thoughts? I, I feel like we've gone through a lot. We've kind of, we could go so deep into the type of tools to use. So I don't know if we want to talk about tools. We want to talk about individual investments, which might be a bit too much. Um, I think we touch on a lot of stuff already, right? Indirectly or directly. Do you want me maybe asking you a couple of uh, recommendations in terms of books or maybe some yeah. resources to yeah. Yeah, things like yeah. to educate? I think education piece probably is the more important one. Yeah. I want to hope. Yeah. So let's, okay. So, so I think summarizing, you know, I think it's been a crazy journey for you. Um, it's, it's really good to hear actually like, i agree with nick like just to hear you know how you approach the youtube how you approach your finances um you know just just taking ownership i think 
is really cool that you did that. So how did you kind of get to this point in terms of the resources you use, what's been working for you, what maybe didn't work for you? Um, how would you tell our listeners to, regardless of age, how would they go about doing what you've done in, in, in this area? Yeah, thanks, Paul. I think um, one of the key pieces is really trying to um, go and interest in, to, into this topic and really realizing why it's important for you to spend time to, to know more about it. Um, you can start always with easy resources, resources that you don't have to necessarily spend. Uh, I can assure you, I have not necessarily signed up for any paid courses whatsoever. There are a ton of free resources out there that you can watch, you can listen to, to get educated. I can give a couple of examples. Of you, on YouTube, I think I talked about it. There are a number of channels that you can follow along and listen to and get educated. One other one that I don't think I mentioned is this one is called Our Rich Journey. It's a, a young couple that they, they're American couples. They are doing very well and they actually have now emigrated to Portugal. They lived there on a fire journey. They quit their job in their early 30s and with their two kids live in Portugal. And they t tell you a lot of great story how they got started. So, well, of course, as much as I encourage people to watch and subscribe to our channel, Momentum, I don't want to discriminate. I think there's a lot of great resources out there that you can watch and listen to. Uh, there are many great podcasts. Um, Paul and I, we talked about the Mad Money. It might be a little more advanced, so it may not be, perhaps, you may not follow along exactly everything that they say, but there are a lot of still great things that you can pick up in between. Um, if you search for different finance podcasts, you might land on a couple. Maybe listen a little bit to them and see, do you resonate with them? Does that, do you find that you're learning something from it? Then you can just continue to subscribe to them and they're free. Um, a lot of libraries, um, they have books and podcasts. There's an app called Hoopla, H-O-O-P-L-A. Uh, it's actually linked to libraries, various libraries in Canada, whereby you can actually download any eBooks not any, but a lot of different good eBooks uh, and podcasts uh, and, um, that you can access or even audiobooks. Uh, you, you, got, you can actually access audiobooks. And that's one of the things that I love about audiobooks because sometimes when you are perhaps doing something on the side and maybe you don't have to focus too much, it's maybe a repetitive task. You can even listen to the, the audiobook on the side and learn something from it. And that's another resource that I would recommend. And feel free to ask your friends and colleagues for resources because for all we know, they might have come across some resources. Do your own due diligence though. Don't ever buy a stock just because you have a good feeling about it. That's never the right way uh, to buy a stock. With that, I thank you so much for having me on this show. It's been a blast. Uh, it's a great chance for me to uh, connect with old friends and also with Nick, getting to know you a little bit better. And of yeah. course, so uh, privileged to be on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, you know, Mustafa, for taking your time here with us today. So just one last thing, reminder for, you know, all of our listeners out there, if they want to reach out to you or find you online, uh, where are the platforms, uh, you know, that they could best reach you at? Yeah, thanks, Nick. So the YouTube channel, uh, if you go to YouTube, they can search for Momentum Finance and Stock Investing. Momentum, I repeat, is M-O-E. M-E-N-T-U-M, but more easily, if you have, if you can just type in moment, uh, you can just type in youtube.momentum.ca, uh, and that is directly taking you to the YouTube channel site. Uh, if you're interested on Instagram, we are also on Momentum Consulting, again, with the same spelling, and happy to uh, answer any question. If you're interested, you can follow us along and 
uh, more than willing to add to our followers and subscribers on the channel. We're trying to build a community of like-minded people who are passionate about the topic of investing, financial discipline, and financial uh, planning. And hopefully, uh, collectively, we can learn from each other. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Scott Paul, you want to ask something? No, that, that, that's great. Um, thank you, Mustafa. And uh, yeah, well, we'd love to have you back if this thing takes off. Yeah. I'm sure it will. You know, you guys are doing an amazing job. Uh, great job. I think I would definitely be interested. Like I said, there are a lot of uh, brilliant minds in the, the Scouts group that I would love to hear from them. I've learned so much from, uh, from, from the group and you, Paul. So definitely love to hear that. And I think same, same thing, uh, same thing uh, goes for anything that you, in life you start, right? Same goes for my YouTube channel. As long as you guys are passionate about this and you find it fulfilling, trust me, there are definitely people out there that are going to feel the same. It's just a matter of, you have to give it a time. You don't have to get disappointed if it doesn't grow as fast as you want. Sometimes we have to have that patience. If yeah. you're patient and you pursue, you're gonna definitely succeed. It's a replicable model. Other people have done it. Joe Rogan has done it, Paul. So. Okay. Yeah. We already gained one subscriber right here, Scott Paul. <laughs> yeah, well done. Once you know what Scott or John used to say, one subscriber at a time, right? One yeah. number at a time. Okay. Okay. Let's uh, enjoy the rest of our Sunday. Thank you, guys. Anything thanks, else, guys. Nick? Send my best regards to the crew and thanks again. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you. Have a lovely weekend. Bye. Bye. This podcast is a project created by the 180th Pacific Coast Scout Group, where we create awesome leadership and management training program for 18 to 26 years old. If you want to learn more about us, check out our website and social media accounts, link in the description.